What a great delight to, to be together. I just love the worship, love what God's doing. Uh, we got to a point of just the increasing sense of God's presence, which gives me encouragement to share what I want to share and then get into for the next few weeks. Uh, I realize that many use catchy phrases to help us remember. I was listening to uh, another church, and they were talking about Acts 1.8. You'll receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. And they kind of made a little phrase that they're about neighbors and nations. And I thought that was pretty cool. It helps us remember. We uh, use fully word and fully spirit, which means a whole lot, we hope. Uh, but I decided that for this uh, series, I pull one up from our past. Mary and I, years ago, we connected with a uh, team in South Africa. And one of the guys used to say that we're to be wild, but not weird. <laughs> Supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. I don't know what that means, but it's, it's, it's catchy, right? I like the wild, but not weird. I come from a uh, very definitely not wild background. Uh, so what I actually want to uh, share with you, I want to start in a series that I've entitled The Kingdom, The Gospel, Healing, and Deliverance. You can make it wild, but not weird. The kingdom, the gospel, healing, and deliverance. It's a really big subject, and it's hard to share the whole counsel of God on something like this in bite-sized pieces. So you're just going to have to realize that that's a limitation in, in doing it over Sundays. And you're going to have to just be patient. I'm not going to get to everything in one day. I would like to. I'll probably, for some of you, raise more questions than answers. So all I'm going to do is an introduction today. But I'm aiming at equipping an application of, uh, of all of this. And so you're going to see why. I'm not sure how long this will continue. Uh, not, yeah. These guys in the front are laughing. It just goes into everything else. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Jude, the book of Jude, right before Revelation, if you didn't know where that was, right at that end. Uh, there's, there's different, different theories about when books were written, and some people think that, in, like in most books, everything in the Bible is listed in a chronological order, and it isn't. It's quite often out of place. Uh, and so it's not always in the chronological order. Depending on your understanding of when Revelation was written, many people think that was the last book written. But there's as much evidence that Jude was the last one written. So uh, Jude 20. But you, beloved, that's you, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, how often have you heard sermons and that's where it stopped? Right in the middle of a sentence. 
But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves. There's something about praying in the Spirit that keeps us in the love of God. It builds us up, but it keeps us in the love of God. And then it goes on and says, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Maybe the last thing written, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. We're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, healing and deliverance. We're talking about God's dominion and power. And that's what we're gonna get to in the weeks ahead. But it just hit me that while we have this partnering with God of pulling people even out of the fire, the goal is that all of that has to be done from the place of the love of God. His love for us and his love for others. Otherwise, it's so easy to slip into legalism or, or into uh, abusing people rather than loving people. Just the opposite. Okay. Great start in that. I've got about half the Bible to read to you this afternoon, which is why I don't want you falling asleep. Dylan. <laughs> no. Matthew chapter 10, verse one. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. That actually is all, all. Heal all sickness and all disease. The, uh, the translators throw kinds in there, but literally means everything. He's making a point. He's given them power. Uh, and then in verse seven, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven, uh, as Matthew uses that term, is the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the, uh, the euphemism, kingdom of heaven, because they wouldn't, he's writing to Jews, and they didn't like the idea of saying God. And so he uses kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. It's about the rulership and authority of God. The kingdom is the realm over which one rules. We tend to think of kingdoms in geographical terms, but the kingdom of heaven is not geographical. It's people. It's as we submit to his rulership, we're part of his kingdom. We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You guys know that. I've said that a, a few times, just reminding you. As you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And then over in Luke chapter nine. Luke's writing, almost it seems like the same thing. He says, then he called his 12, verse one, 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. He puts the two together 
over all demons and to cure diseases. Matthew emphasizes over all sickness. Luke emphasizes over all demons. Put them together, and what do you have? Authority over all sickness and disease and over all demons. Uh, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 6, so they departed and went through the town preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Just turn over to the page to uh, chapter 10. This is sending out the 70. Tells them to go out two by two. Verse nine. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here's an interesting thought. I'm going to get to this next week. Behold, I give you the authority. We focus on the give. I wonder if he focused on the I. Behold, I give you authority. We'll touch that next week. That was just a uh, teaser. So point one is this. In the love of God and partnering with him, we have been given three actions. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Heal the sick. And set free those who are demonized. Right? You saw that there, right? He gave them authority, sent them out to heal the sick, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to set free those who were, uh, had evil spirits. We'll talk about that a little bit later, who were demonized. What I want to, point I want to make here is that these are interwoven. And we've got to see that they function together. See, we're talking about us as a kingdom of priests being equipped for the work of the ministry. I'm going to give you an aside here. I'm never going to get through everything I have tonight. Quick aside. You know that when God made Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If you look at that very word, it happens over and over again. God's a God of multiplication. And he constantly said that there's something of multiplying. Now, just an illustration. Bible says that God is light. Then it says of Jesus, he's the light of the world. And Jesus in Matthew 5 says of his followers, you're the light of the world. Jesus called 12 disciples and discipled them. And he said to you, 12, now you go make disciples of all nations. There is a multiplying. In the Old Testament, there were a few prophets who heard God and they were filled with his spirit. But in the New Testament, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Jesus said, my sheep follow me because they hear my voice. God's a God of multiplying. We're a kingdom of 
ministers, of priests that God is multiplying. It's not a few professionals, it's everybody. And so part of the equipping is recognizing, hey, we're part of that multiplying process. Just a real quick thought for you. By definition, multiplying is decentralizing, not centralizing. Think about that for a second. God's process is decentralizing, filling everybody with his spirit, with his word, and then setting them free in direct authority, in responsibility and authority to him. I think the devil's strategy tends to be centralizing. Let's make it all around one person. Why? Because there's more control. Governments tend to end up becoming centralized. We don't want everyone to have authority. We want to hang on to it. Now think about that in a kingdom context. You see that in the Catholic Church. All the authority goes into the Pope. The Pope and seven cardinals determine all the teaching and policy of the Catholic Church. I think there's something of God's strategy of multiplying. And there's something, if we're not careful... If we follow the way of the world, the strategy we end up with is centralizing and saying, hey, it's fine for you to be added, but not to be released. Okay. I got sidetracked there. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't in the notes. Uh, and I wasn't going to finish when we got started. Okay, Acts chapter 8, one more. I left this one out as I was uh, reading them before. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore those who, who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Sound like what you just heard. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multiple, multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were uh, demonized and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So the point I want to make today is that these are woven together, preaching the gospel, healing, and deliverance. If you can see, there's three legs on this stand, which makes it stand up. If I took one of them away, what would happen? It would fall over. If I took two of them away, I'd have to be really good at balancing to get it to stand up, right? Probably wouldn't last very long. I think separating the three, preaching the gospel, healing, and deliverance, has led to a lot of misunderstanding, problems, and ineffectiveness in the body of Christ. When we separate them, the gospel without signs and wonders confirming becomes powerless. 
So what happens? Indirectly, it becomes an intellectual ascent to something rather than a spiritual breakthrough. But in the same way, deliverance without the others gets weird. (laughs) Wild but not weird. Or totally ignored altogether. It seems like Jesus made very clear to his disciples that they were to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. So what happens if we take casting out of demons totally out of the picture? We leave people bound that he wants free. So how do we get to this place? Most of you probably know better than I do. But I think uh, the weirdness of some of the Pentecostals. Now, you have to understand my bias. I'm being, being straight with you. I grew up in a very non-supernatural church. Okay? We knew nothing of the supernatural. Uh, and so I tend to have a bias that way. But then as I began to see stuff in the Bible... What I found is that I joined a Pentecostal church that had kind of swung the pendulum to the other extreme. Everything was a demon. No matter what your problem was, it was a demon. In fact, we actually had a ministry, a couple that came to our church, and they spent six months. They had a deliverance ministry. They went through and identified through checklists and through the, the... what they felt was God speaking to them, every demon that, that you had. Yeah. And of course, everyone had many of them. And then when they prayed for people, they were set free. Uh, but they were the only ones who knew. It was very subjective. Now, let me be honest. In that, there were some people who really were set free. The problem was... Six months later, they were all just as bound as they had been before. And being somewhat intelligent, I went, I think there's something wrong here. So when we make everything a demon, what happens is that we quickly come to the conclusion that nothing's a demon. And that's where much of the church is. But on top of that... Many people have seen deliverance associated with very harsh behavior. I was in another nation ministering, and when people, people began to manifest demons, and they'd have a team that would come and grab them and take them into the other room, and then they would beat on them. I don't know if they thought that the Holy Spirit needed a hand. I thought maybe... They think if, if they just beat up enough, the people become so uncomfortable that the demon will just get leave, leave because tired of getting beaten on. I have no idea. But some of us have seen that kind of stuff. And so we said, oh, this is weird. Very weird. That's not necessary. 
Some of us scientific worldview, basically that everything's natural, makes deliverance and sometimes even healing seem archaic. It's something from uh, the medieval times when they didn't know any better. We know they're really not demonized. It's a physiological condition. Except when they are demonized. There's some other reasons we'll talk about later as we go along. I'll mention two of them real quick, but I won't talk about them because we'll do this later. One was the belief that Christians can't be demonized. The other was a one-and-done theology, meaning that once you accepted Jesus, everything got changed, uh, and, and therefore you didn't need anything else. Now, the reality is we don't need anything other than Jesus, but we're in the process of being transformed. We're saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. Our spirit comes alive, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, our soul, and we will be saved, our body. See, we need to understand this. Most truths are like pieces of a puzzle. You don't have a total image until they're joined to the other pieces. So if we separate these and we make deliverance a standalone ministry, it gets weird. Or if we make healing a standalone ministry, we need to see that they work together. So I'm going to try and give you a whole picture over the next few weeks. I'm going to ask you to do this. As much as possible, would you take off the lenses of your previous view about this arena? Okay? Most of us have had some sort of experience whether it's the absolute nothing or if it's swung the pendulum to weirdness, everything's a demon. But also how we get people free. I'm going to ask you to, to try and remove that. Okay, let's get into it. Review. You're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Johan preached that uh, the last two weeks of August. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to that again. It will save me a whole lot of time. Uh, he did a, a wonderful job. Uh, he's a, a really, really wonderful uh, teacher and communicator. And we're th absolutely thrilled to have him. But uh, he read from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify you completely. Make you whole completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as he said, real quick, body is the part that connects with the outside world, okay? Uh, this is being recorded, and so you can probably follow it up if you don't get all my definitions. Uh, you might want to take notes otherwise, uh, because you'll need to remember this. Uh, the body connects to the outside world. The spirit is the part that connects to God and the spiritual world when we're born again. The soul, I'm going to call it the control center. Okay? Your mind, emotions, and will. Mind is 
area of thoughts and beliefs. Your emotions are there of feelings and reactions. For instance, fear can be a reaction to danger. Something dangerous happens and fear comes in and what happens? Your heart rate increases, adrenaline shoots through your system. It's a defense mechanism to protect you. It can become something else later on. And then your will is about autonomy, authority, and the place that you make decisions. And we'll talk about that more next week. Looking at the Bible, I see three areas of freedom. And here's where we're going to get a bit technical for the next few minutes. So this is why you might want to have to read this later uh, or listen, re-listen again. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, uh, For the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It seems to be, be re- referring to things in the mind, thoughts, arguments, uh, all that kind of stuff. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit. That word cheat is take you captive. Beware lest you get taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Strongholds then are beliefs or thoughts that become ingrained in our thinking. Okay, we're going to talk about strongholds, we're going to talk about spirits, and we're going to talk about demons. Okay? We're just on the strongholds. Basically, uh, those of you who have studied this stuff understand that uh, our thoughts can, can create neural pathways in our brain, and they can become super highways. I like to call them ruts. And your mind goes down a certain certain pathway. Something triggers in, and boom, it's down that pathway. And it, and it happens really quick. Uh, some psychologists talk about this as self-talk. Now, the thing is, when you talk, most of us talk about 250 words a minute. That's the average. Some of you I know talk four or 500 words a minute. <laughs> but your mind talks at 1,250 words a minute, five times as fast. So something can trigger something, and your mind's gone down that neural superhighway faster than you can even uh, say it. And so the reality is to get free from strongholds, we need off-ramps to get us off that superhighway. And we're going to find some of these. Next year, we're going to do a whole thing with uh, becoming valiant men and understanding how to control our thought life uh, so that we, we recognize the off-ramps and get off, change our thinking. You can't just say, I won't think about that. Okay? You have to actually choose to get off the off-ramp. If I were to tell you, do not think about pink elephants. Whatever you do, don't think about pink elephants. No thinking about pink elephants. 
you can think, it, don't, don't think about blue elephants, but please don't think about pink elephants, whatever you do. Okay, how do you not think about a pink elephant? You choose to think about something else. Now once that becomes a super highway in your neural pathways, you have to choose the off-ramp. Are you still with me? We'll get to all this. I'm just setting out some of the, uh, the terms for the next few weeks. I know that this is slow. Just uh, be patient with me. But the Bible also talks about something else. 2 Timothy 1. Verse 6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I won't get sidetracked. I won't get sidetracked. I won't get sidetracked. Romans chapter 8, I will get sidetracked. Let me just throw something real quick at you. Stir up the gift of God which was... Uh, in you through the laying on of my hands. Only place in the Bible it talks about people receiving gifts from someone else. Okay? Here's the thought. Was he actually talking about a gift, the gift of teaching, or was he talking about the Holy Spirit? Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Stir up the gift, the Holy Spirit that's within you. Not what, what is my gift? Am I a teacher? Am I a prophet? Stir that up. No, stir up the Holy Spirit. Interesting thought. Sorry, I, I said I wouldn't get sidetracked, and I did. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to, uh, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Numbers 14.24 says of Caleb, my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit in him. Didn't mean he had a demon in him. He just had a different spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.13. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, and believe, and therefore speak. So there's something of a spirit that doesn't actually refer to something of like a demon. It can be an attitude. It can be something that affects us, an attitude or emotion. We can have a spirit of faith, or we can have a spirit of fear, or we can have a different spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we're talking about demons here, okay? Just hang with me. I know it does talk about unclean spirits, and we'll get there in just a second. But there's something there that, interesting, if you look up the word spirit, there's 14 definitions in the Bible. I mean, in the dictionary. 14. It can mean an attitude. It can mean an emotion. It can mean all kinds of things. Uh, but I'm gonna, we're going to use this term. It's an attitude or emotion. Sometimes hurt or trauma can create a neural pathway in our emotions of a negative expectation. If I'm constantly hurt in a certain situation, I develop that same neural pathway that I expect 
something negative. So I have habits in my feeling. I feel negative. Now those things, those neural pathways can be triggered by things around us, by places. Uh, I was talking with Richard and Kathy uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this and how, you know, if some people in a car accident, they have a triggering of fear when they go to the place where that happened. Or smells. Or lights. Or certain people or situations. And we have a negative expectation. So we're talking about something that might not actually be a demonic spirit, okay? Now, that doesn't mean it can't lead to a demonic spirit. We haven't got that far yet. Don't, don't get ahead of me. But I'm saying that those things can have a hold on us. We can actually have a bondage to the spirit of fear. We just read. You still with me? I love this uh, scripture in Third John, verse 2. It says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. When we got saved, our spirits came alive to God, but we're in the process of being transformed in our soul our mind, our emotions, and our will. We're in the process of being healed. We're in the process of being set free from spirits, neural pathways, for those of you who are technical. But there's more. With this six-knife set, there's... But there's more. Matthew 17... From verse 15, uh, this guy comes to Jesus. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your, uh, sorry, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him or cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? And shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him, and the child was cured or healed from that very hour. One more, Luke 11 and verse 20. Jesus says this, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he's not just talking about a spirit, he's talking about an actual demon. So demons are actual demonic spirits attached to people that they can be demonized. They're actual demonic spirits. Okay? Now, to make confuse you even more, unclean, the term unclean spirits can also be used for demons. Okay? Mark chapter 1 and verse 22 uh, says this, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. 
And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of that man. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out of a voice, he came out of him. Now, we're not talking there about an attitude. We're talking about a spirit of fear. We're talking about an unclean spirit that actually is a a pseudonym for a demon. So there's something of these being connected, our strongholds in our mind, and the spirits that we experience, the, the trauma that affects us emotionally, can open the door to actually demonic spirits. Last year, we had a friend of mine here from uh, Cairns, a psychiatrist who was also a pastor. And he was talking to us about demonization and certain forms of mental illness, schizophrenia specifically. He said they present exactly the same. Now, if you have a bias, if everything's a demon then everybody you meet who presents that way needs to be delivered. But if nothing's a demon, then everybody you meet that way needs some uh, prescription medication so that they can be controlled. What he said was this. Medication won't control demons. But you can't cast out mental illness. How do you know? How do you know? A friend once told me a joke. He said, uh, asked him what the greatest invention ever was. And he said it was the, the thermos. He said, the thermos? He said, yeah. It keeps hot things hot, and it keeps cold things cold. He said, yeah. He said, but how do it know? Sorry, that was an American joke. That didn't work. Nobody laughed at that joke. That was a dad joke. How does it know which one's hot and cold? Ah. Huh? Back to Pete. Don't give up my day job, huh? We're going to deal with kingdom authority next week. We need to lay the foundation so we understand when Jesus sends his disciples, and that's us, and commands us, gives us authority and power to heal the sick, to to set free the captives, those who are demonized, and to proclaim the kingdom of God, the rulership of God has come. Now, I know that this is introduction, but I don't want to just be introduction. We need to understand God's plan, but also what he wants to do with us. I I felt this week that there there was something that God wanted to to touch today, and I think what Mary shared is a, a second thing, but I think that there is, it's easy for us in our culture to get a spirit of fear. Okay? Now, the problem is, 
when we say that, some of us think a demon. I don't have any demons. No, but it's a spirit of fear is, is a expectation of something negative to happen. Just like a spirit of rejection. While we might have experienced rejection over and over, it becomes a neural superhighway in our thinking so that we expect to be rejected all the time. We think everyone's statement is a rejection of us. It's about us. And so a spirit of rejection affects how we view the world. But a spirit of fear also affects how we view the world. If we have an expectation of a negative to happen. Now, it doesn't mean that that expectation isn't real sometimes. Okay? Let me tell you. If you jump off a very tall building, you should have an expectation of something negative to happen. That's just common sense. Okay? You have a real fear because something will happen. But Jesus' heart is that we prosper and are in health even as our soul prospers. That we, our mind responds to his truth. That our soul is freed from the bondages of the things that would, would hinder us and hold us. God's never unhappy with us from the standpoint that he doesn't like us. He actually wants us to be free. He's conforming us to the image of his son. So I'm going to ask you if you just bow your head for a moment. In the bigger picture, I believe there's something of God restoring the gospel and power to his church. And that we've settled for something less than the totality of what God has for far too long. And there's something of the gospel with the signs and wonders accompanying that breaks through people's uh, walls and shields. And people realize God is real. But today, I believe that just something of God wanting to set people, if you have a spirit of fear. The guys at uh, Living Free last week, one of the guys told me a testimony. He was going to share it tonight, but he's not here. I'll let him share it next week. But just about he, how he got free from a fear of the dark that he had his whole life. There was something that took place at Living Free that... He realized that he had been hiding from God his, his sin. And he said that God, he made him realize that, how do you hide anything from God? Where can I go from his presence? And so when he just released that, he was also released from a, a spirit of fear. Now, it wasn't a demon that came out of him. It was something in his thinking that God brought healing. And so when we talk about either spirit of fear or rejection, don't 
rule out that it can't be you because you think it's a demon. It's not. It can just be an attitude. It can be a mindset that has an expectation of something negative. And God just in his love wants to set us free. So why are your heads about? Would you say, Holy Spirit, I trust you. I'm not sure about this crazy American guy with his bad jokes, but I trust you. And so will you bring revelation? The two, those two things, just tonight, those two. If I have a spirit of fear, would you just let me know? Now, you probably already know if you do. Or if I have a spirit of rejection. Maybe you've experienced rejection over and over and over. And your defense is to prepare yourself and watch out for that. But your expectation is that you're going to be rejected. And so God's just in his goodness, wants to set us free. He's not limited to these. But these are what we're dealing with tonight, just for the sake of time. Over the next weeks, we're going to deal with a lot of other things. And we're going to get into the bigger realm as well. But if God's speaking something to you, would you just respond to him? And say, God, would you set me free? Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the power. All authority is given to him. I'm going to ask the, uh, I know it's a little bit late. I'm going to ask the worship team if they come back. Tim, can we do the king is in the room again? There's something of setting free. I'm going to ask you all if you would to stand as we sing this. I think there's something of God setting, wanting to set us free. I'm going to ask some help from a, a few people who will come to the front just to pray for those who like someone to pray with them. You don't have to. Tony and Fiona, would you come up? Uh, Ian and Jan, would you come up here? Uh, Johan and Fief, would you come up here? Uh, there, there could be many more of you, but I'll just uh, throw this in. Glenn and Di, would you come up and and pray as well. Uh, just kind of as couples spread out. I mean, as couples get together, but the rest of you spread out. So in case people want to come, while we sing this, if there's something of God doing in you and you would like someone to pray with you or for you, Michael and Margaret, would you come up here as well on this side? You guys. We're kind of overbalanced. So we need to, we need to, we need some balance, Michael. These, these guys are a bit wild, but they're weird. We need the... <laughs> Thinking about pink elephants. The song declares our focus on Jesus. But if you need, would you like some prayer? If you've struggled with fear or with a spirit of rejection, God just in his goodness wants to set you free. Okay, as we sing this, 
If you'd like someone to pray, just come to one of these couples. They would love to, to pray with you. And uh, otherwise, just let's let the Holy Spirit do.